Well, I wonder if you could turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew and to the eighth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to read from verse 16 of the portion of Scripture. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8, and beginning or reading at verse uh, 16. When, he, when the even was come, they brought unto many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities, and bare our sicknesses. Now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus saith unto them, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, Follow me, and let the bed dead bury their dead. And when he was entered into the ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he said to them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, what manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing again to the reading of his precious word. Can we unite again at the throne of grace and prayer? Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we thank thee for the opportunity of meeting with thee afresh today. And we ask thee that thou wouldst come and meet with us and bless us we pray that thou would speak through thy word to every heart, particularly to any who know not thee as their Saviour. We thank thee, Lord, that thou art able to save. And we pray that thou wouldst uh, cause our hearts to energize. We pray that thou wouldst give zeal within our hearts for the things of God. We pray that the reality of discipleship, the reality of following the Lord, might be a reality in our own lives and in our hearts. Bless thy word now, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen. The Lord Jesus had been uh, teaching and preaching, and such was the impact of his ministry that crowds were starting to gather around him. Now, prior to this, the Lord had healed the centurion's um, servant and Peter's wife's mother and uh, we think of these miracles that were taking place and we find that the Lord this time instead of uh, going up into hell to preach uh, to perform healings and other things he says rather that it's time to go we're, we're going to go look at verse 18 of the passage that we read it says now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him he gave commandment to depart onto the other side. In other words, to go to the other side of the sea. Now, the question we ask is why the Lord wanted to get away. 
And perhaps the answer is given in a parallel passage, John 6 and verse 15, or another passage, it says that when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come to take him by force, to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. And there were times when the people uh, were so enthused by the ministry of the Lord that they wanted to exalt him and make a king out of him. They, they were looking for a Messiah who would come to be a king. And it's, this would have been a temptation to many a one, but the Lord, of course, is sinless. But you think of how many would have uh, loved to be put into the place of uh, exaltation. But the Lord knew that there were other things to be. This was not how his kingdom was coming into being. He knew that there were other things, other messages to preach. And he knew that there were miracles to perform and things to be done. And so he gets into the boat to go to the other side, to leave uh, this great multitude and the danger that was there. But I want you to see that when the Lord uh, decided or announced that he was going over the other side of the, the Sea of Galilee, many of the people who were caught up on the excitement and the popularity of the Lord's ministry wanted to go with him. And there were many of the people who wanted to follow the Lord more closely. They liked his teaching. They were intrigued by his ministry. And they didn't know whether they would see him again when he had gone. So they want to follow. They are caught up in the excitement of the things. So when they see him heading for the boat, they say, say we want to go with you. But they had not followed or they had not considered the full cost of being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were excited. They were caught up in the ministry and the drama of the miracles and all the rest of it. And they were not really considering what they were signing up to. So the Lord here wants to make it plain. And there's no false advertising here as far as the gospel is concerned. The Lord wants to make it clear that they're going to be following one of the hardest paths that there is upon earth. He's going to lead them to places that they're not wanting to go. He's going to show them this truth about themselves that is ugly. They're going to be shown that they're sinners. They're going to have to deal with sin in their lives. He'll call them to stand alone against the tide of the world, to walk in a direction that is contrary to the fashions of the world. He wants them to see that there's a demand to surrender to him and to follow him. Total commitment with that desire to uh, commitment to all that he wants them to do. Now, in case you're thinking I'm exaggerating about what the Lord was calling them to do, I want you to think about what the Lord said in Luke chapter 14, verses 26 to 33. Remember what he said to the people, If any man come uh, after me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 
For which of you intending to build a tower setteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he is sufficient to finish it, lest haply after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, uh, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Now, did you notice that? Three times he used that important phrase, you cannot be my disciple. He wasn't saying that you'll have a hard time being my disciple, or um, if you are sort of half committed, you can be my disciple. He plainly says that you cannot be my disciple unless there is this commitment. Now, those are strong words, but they're not my words. They are the Lord's words. And yet we need to take those words seriously because many do not seem to be taking them seriously in the church in this day. And we have many followers who do not seem to have counted the cost. I think of the words of Bishop J.C. Ryle many years ago, 150 years ago. And this is what he said about those hard words of the Savior. He said, and I quote, It would be well for the churches of Christ if these sayings of our Lord were more remembered than they are. It may well be feared that the lesson they contain is too often overlooked by the ministers of the gospel and that thousands are admitted to full communion who are never warned to count the cost. Nothing, in fact, has done more harm to Christianity than the practice of filling the ranks of the Christ's army with every volunteer who is willing to make a little profession and talk fluently of his experience. It has been painfully forgotten that numbers alone do not make strength and that there may be a great quantity of mere outward religion while there is very little of real grace. Let us remember this. Let us keep back nothing from young professors and inquirers after Christ. Let us not enlist them on false pretenses. Let us tell them plainly that there's a crown of glory at the end, but let us tell them no less plainly that there's a daily cross in the way. George Gallup uh, contends that fewer, the um, pollster, contends that fewer than 10% of evangelicals could be called deeply committed. But I want you to see that the Lord calls for deep committed commitment. Now, are you a half-hearted Christian? Or are you fully committed? Because the Lord said, unless there is that commitment, ye cannot be my disciple. And I want us just to think about those dramatic words for a few minutes this evening. 
Now, I want you to notice the passage of Scripture. I want you to see the candidates for discipleship here. Look at verse 19. It says, And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Now, the first person we see here is a scribe. Now, scribes were usually opposed to the Lord Jesus Christ, but this one was clearly interested in the teaching of the Savior. And the first man here, he's probably caught up with the euphoria of the moment. Crowds were following the Lord. Hundreds uh, were being healed. The Lord's disciples here were part of an exciting uh, movement that's taking place. So he gushes, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Now, he must have known that in order to do that, he was going to lose Uh, what was a good paying job. He was going to uh, leave the uh, lifestyle that he had and so on and so forth. And following the Lord Jesus Christ was not going to be easy. And yet he says, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. He means through thick and thin. He wants to follow the Savior with all his heart, it seems. Now, the Lord makes it crystal clear to this man that what he's going to follow is not going to have a vacation uh, scheme and a benefit package, and he is going to make clear that the boss of this operation is homeless. He's not going to be promised anything, even the basics of a warm bed at night. So this is a high bar, and the Lord Jesus sets it out. This is no middle-class security. If he's going to follow, there's not going to be stability. There's not going to be um, prosperity. This is not going to be high on the list. Uh, And this is what the Lord makes clear. Now, there are a race of prosperity preachers today who preach that that is what the Lord was offering. This is the thing. But you can see here that this is not what is an offer. Now, many people have the idea that Christianity is about cream teas and about uh, coffee shop um, uh, visits and so on and so forth and fellowship around a cup of tea and uh, a cream bun or something like that. But that is not what the Lord gives here in this portion of Scripture. That has not been the norm of history. And uh, it is not the norm today either, really. If you're seeking the Lord Jesus Christ and you're hoping for material comfort and you're hoping for an easy time and uh, just a, a little set of a club, as it were, that is not what we're talking about. And that's not what the Lord Jesus Christ is talking about. Thy profession can be easy. It may be that in the excitement of a big meeting or in the fact that others were coming to Christ at the time that you were swept into these things. But are you a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? What does it make to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? To truly become a child of God? Well, it means that we're giving our heart to Him. We are making Him Lord of our lives and of our hearts. And salvation is totally the gracious gift of God 
but we must live for him and we must love him. Now, we don't know what happened to this man, but then there, there's the wholehearted scribe. But then the second man that is mentioned here is the cold-hearted disciple. Look at verse 21. And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Now, this man wants to be a disciple of the Lord, or he has been a disciple, but he's not one of the twelve here. He's just a follower. But he'd heard the Lord Jesus talk and, uh, to the scribe, and he had a deeper understanding of what being a disciple was. And he um, now hears that he um, has got to give us all, and it's not going to be easy. And so he takes cold feet and he says, Oh, first bid me go and bury my father. Hold the boat. Oh, I'll come sometime, but hold the boat. And I'll come when I have buried my father. Now, there are two possibilities about what the man meant. The one possibility is that his father had just died. Now, if his father had just died, um, what was he doing in the crowd with the Lord Jesus? Um, in those days, uh, you, if your father had died, you were exempt from religious observances. And usually the, the body was buried, as it is in the East still today, on that day. So it wouldn't have taken too long. But what was the boy doing there with the Lord if his father had just died? But the second possibility is probably the most likely one. And that is that the phrase to bury your father was one that was used there in those days. It was a tradition speaking about the duty of a son to remain home and care for his parents until they had died and were respectably buried. So what this boy was really saying was maybe 20 years or 30 years down the line, I will follow, but not just now. When it's convenient, I'll follow. Now, we don't misply this. If you're looking, if your ministry uh, may be given to you of the Lord is to look after an ailing parent, well, that is something that you're to do. But here is a man who is making an excuse. And the Lord here knows what is coming for his disciples. He knows that those hoping to avoid pain and conflict and suffering and tribulation are not going to last long as his disciples. And in these days, when Christianity is becoming a little bit less popular, and when the tide of blessing seems to have gone out, it does seem to be that there are those who are beginning to make an excuse and are beginning to draw back, and are not as zealous for the things of God as once they were. Are you like the cold-hearted disciple? But then there is another man here, and that is the half-hearted follower. He's mentioned in Luke chapter 9, verse 61. He's not mentioned here. But it says in Luke chapter 9, and verse 61, And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. So the third man volunteers to follow the Lord Jesus, but he has a stipulation. 
and he wants to go home and say goodbye to everyone. And he thought that following the Lord was important, but he also um, was looking at his own relationships, and he, want, he wanted to have a relationship with his own old ways and his old life. He wasn't just willing sort of, sort of to he, he remind you of those that have want a, a, a foot in both camps, as it were. But the Lord replies, and he says, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ are to be completely focused. And they're not to keep one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. Your heart cannot be divided between these things. And we think of how there are those that seem to want to uh, put other things first. You know, in evangelical circles in years gone by, there was much emphasis upon this total dedication. And sometimes it went overboard, I suppose. You, you think of missionaries who sort of had to send their if they were separated from their children. Hudson Taylor sent his children back to England for their education rather than keeping them in China. And I think that there's a correction today, but it's maybe sometimes an overcorrection in that you hear of families, for example. I've heard of Christian families who are not involved in serving the Lord because it would interfere with their family time. And there are those that are like that. Some parents have prohibited their children from involvement in missions because they fear they would be killed in another country. Well, the Lord is looking for those who will follow him fully. Now, I wonder if you're in the description here. So we notice here the candidates for discipleship. But then look at the contrast about discipleship. The Lord spoke about the cost of discipleship, and he makes it clear. And it says in John chapter 6 and verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. And it's interesting to notice that word where it speaks about how they went back. And the Greek word there speaks of looking behind them. They were looking at the things behind them. And there's an alternative meaning in the Greek. It means just looking back. And it would remind you of Lot's wife. And you remember how that when Lot's wife came out of the city of Sodom that God was going to destroy, and she turned back and looked back and looked back longingly. And we think of how she was turned into a pillar of salt. She looked back with longing towards the city, towards the old life that she had left. And the Lord says in Luke 17, verses 32 and 33, Remember Lot's wife, whosoever shall seek his life uh, to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. 
And while the Christian life is a process of daily, daily yielding more and more to the Lord, it is never approached from the mentality, I'll try and see if it works. And there are many who sort of hold back, as it were. The Lord puts it this way, whosoever shall seek his life or seek to save his life shall lose it. Now that's radical. That's radical. And I want you to see how radical it is. Again, we come to the words in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And the Lord's saying, you're looking forward, you're going forward, you're not looking back, not turning. Turning back is not an option. And you're not saved by works, and you're not kept by works. All of this is by grace, as we'll show you. But, dear friend, being born again of the Holy Spirit of God has got to make a difference. And we see the contrast to that when you look at the Apostle Paul. Paul said in Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14, and here is a disciple. He said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And I want you to see how Paul um, doesn't count himself to be perfect, but what he does, he, he knows that he'll fall, he knows that he'll fail, but what he is doing is looking forward, and he's going forward looking for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So we see that while Christians feel, and genuine Christians can feel, and we do feel, it's not that we don't feel, but we have an impetus. We might may, may not have apprehended, but we're looking for the prize. Uh, we're looking toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Now that undoubtedly is an allusion to the Grecian games and the races, and there was a prize, and they wouldn't stop until they had gained the prize. Now, I might be accused now of preaching legalism here, because, but I want you to see that that is all of grace. We cannot run that race in our own power. We've got to do it in the grace of God, and God has got to give us the grace, but there's got to be grace in our eyes, our eyes, uh, our, our, in our lives. Our eyes are fixed intently on the mark, the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And the mark there is the object in the distance that we're running through. And we're aiming towards the post. And we're aiming at the heavenly view, vision. But I wonder today, is heaven in your view? You cannot be Christ, and you cannot take the name of Christian unless you have that heavenly vision and that heavenly view. But are you working and walking in your Christian life? And I'm not 
preaching legalism here. I'm not saying you're saved by grace or that you have to walk to be saved. But, but what I want to say to you is that if you are truly saved, you will walk. You want to serve the Lord as your Savior. Have you that discipleship in your life? But there's one more thing that I want you to see here, and that is the conditions for discipleship. And I want you to see that it's going to take full consecration to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, and I want you to look at verses 24 and 25. And here's what the Lord said to his disciples. He said, um, for, for whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake uh, shall uh, for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? For what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And he says in verse 24, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So he promises a cross. He promises suffering and shame. Now, you think of how radical that was to the disciples. To the disciples, the cross was an emblem of suffering and an emblem of shame. It took perhaps 30 hours bleeding to death and suffocating to death on the cross, naked in public view for all to see. And the cross was a place of humiliation. Now, this is what the Lord Jesus holds out to his disciples. Now, can you and I do that in our own strength? No way. Can you and I walk like that in our own strength? No way. This is not legalism. The only way that can happen is the grace of God is in your heart and in your life. This is where grace comes in. And this is the grace of God that makes the difference in your life. And maybe you're saying unsaved person to be, well, you're not making a great case for Christianity. Well, I'm making an honest case. But I want you to see what lies ahead for the child of God? We press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Heaven is our view, and there is an eternity and eternal life that is given to those that know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And that is the thing that we are looking for, and that is the thing that God has promised to them that believe in him. But I want you to see that you cannot come and say, well, I'll try it out. You cannot come and say, well, I'll uh, put my foot in one camp and one in the other. I, I'll be a Christian, but I'll uh, keep the world and I'll keep my sin and I'll keep everything else along with it. That is not what the Lord Jesus Christ 
was indicating, and it is not what the Lord Jesus Christ was proclaiming in the gospel. He said, follow me. Now, are you following him? Maybe you've made a profession in the past, but it has been half-hearted. And you have been like those that came. And when you have faced the difficulty, and when it has been hard to be a Christian, you've been like the man who said, Oh, wait a minute. Let me go home again. Let me go uh, back to what I knew before. Has there been anything like that in your life? Or are you a full-hearted Christian? Are you full-heartedly following the Lord Jesus Christ? May God give you the grace to follow him. And dear friend, I urge you to follow him. I urge you to get right with God, to come and trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Oh, here were people who wanted to follow him. Do you want to follow him? Follow the King, the Lord, the God of the universe, and have your sins forgiven and dwell with him for all eternity. May God write his word upon our hearts for his name's sake. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we thank thee for thy precious word this evening, and we pray that thou wouldst bless it to every heart. We pray that thou wouldst speak on to each one, and that thy word might be a means of speaking to those that know not thee as their Saviour. Reveal hearts, bless thy word, separate us in thy fear, and with thy blessing may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with thy people both now and in the incoming days. For Jesus' sake, amen.